Welcome to the Marketer as Philosopher podcast. Our goal is to help you completely re-envision your role and your work as a marketer or entrepreneur. Now, here are your hosts, Flint McLaughlin, joining us from the rugged mountains of Wolf Creek, Montana, and Daniel Burstein, joining us from the beautiful beaches of Jacksonville, Florida. You know, the last podcast episode shook me a little, Flint, because... I think of myself as a pretty creative guy. That's why I'm in marketing. It's one of the reasons why I'm in marketing. And so when we started talking about, we were going down the checklist of things you need to consider, things you need to ask yourself before you're creating a landing page, before you're optimizing it, really before you're creating any marketing. And we had that first question there, and it really got me thinking, that question of, you know, am I just blindly copying someone else's layout or have I developed a flow logic that supports my call to action? And then I came across this little bit of philosophy that I want to run by you. This is what I like to do in the opening of the podcast. I pull out some philosophy. Flint has no idea what I'm about to ask him. I can just throw it at him and, and, see, how, and see how he's going to react, right? Because that's a marketer's philosopher. But uh, anyway, it's this idea of mimetic theory, right? About mimetic mm-hmm. theory and the idea of, you know, that we mimic each other. That's how people make decisions. We mimic each other, which is yes. probably not new to a market or all tried bandwagon effect. But listen to this quote from Rene Girard, who talked about mimetic theory. He said, Man is the creature who does not know what to desire, and he turns to others in order to make up his mind. We desire what others desire because we imitate their desires. And it got me thinking of kind of something you were talking about in the last podcast, where I used to think of kind of that idea of bandwagon effect more for customers, but not myself as a marketer as much. And desiring, like you said, to use the Apple layout because it's kind of the hip, cool thing to do in marketing or use, you know, whatever's in Adobe software because that's the hip, cool thing well, as me, opposed to really finding my own way. Let me back you up there, Dan, because uh, apart from that school of thinking and philosophy, probably the most brilliant psychotherapist of all time, some would argue, is a guy named Erickson. And he was studied by two researchers, Bandler and Grinds. And out of that, there was the basis of a new way to think about interacting with people that became the foundation of something called neurolinguistic programming, which has been popularized by the Anthony Robbinses of the world and so on. But if you go back to the original research and you read uh, the work that was done in Vienna and otherwise, it's stunning. Because the concept of mirroring, which I know Robbins talks about, and I'm not criticizing Robbins. He's done a good job of simplifying some pretty complex concepts. But the concept of mirroring is at the foundation of rapport building. And what's interesting to me, and I think it's a landmine that you just exposed, is that too many marketers, they're, they're mirroring the wrong thing. They mirror each other instead of the consumer they're trying to reach. And so what happens is we create a feedback loop that's distorting reality. We copy each other, copying each other. And with it comes a language, the leading this, which means absolutely nothing. It means we're not number one, but if we say leading, you might think we're number one. We have all these phrases and these techniques for discussing ourselves and our products that are uh, not only ineffective, they're actually offensive in a regular conversation. So, I don't know where you're going with this opening, but I want to caution every marketer here. It is really important to learn to mirror, but we're mirroring the wrong person. The more expert we become as marketers, the more distant we become from consumers, and we lose the ability to build rapport.
Let me ask you, I'm going to ask you about the Uber of real quick, because I see the Uber of everywhere. But uh, here's where <laughs> I'm going with this whole idea is, you know, since our last podcast and then just kind of telling the audience about what we're trying to do in these podcasts is, you know, again, we're not going to go into the top 10 SEO tips of how to get ranked in the next 30 days or, you know, affiliate marketing tips or, you know, all the secrets. But if you need to like know that. that, Dan, talk to Robert Pertillo. He's a genius. He works with us on our SEO. And, uh, I'm impressed with him every day. He's also learned the critical connection between CRO and SEO. And we will talk about that in the, in the landing page blueprint. But to your point, uh, our focus is on the underlying psychology. Yes, it's getting deeper into not just how we can, you know, get results from a customer, but what are, what are we doing as marketers? Who are we as marketers and what's our role? And that's why I, I got thinking since our last episode, I got thinking, you know, a lot of these uh, you know, practices, I think about how we use them, you know, with the customer, but I don't think about them, how we use them with ourselves, you know, how we're, like you said, my desire maybe is not, you know, so much about what's my desire as a customer, what's my desire as a marketer and why am I copying everyone else? And, and that brought one other thought that I wanted to, to ask you about in, in terms of this kind of this copying, this memetic theory, before we get into the second half of the checklist, which we're going to do in this podcast, a checklist that can give you a new view of, uh, you know, what you should do before you launch any marketing, especially landing pages. Um, so we're going to get into that in a second. But first, I want to say, so I get all these pitches. All the time I get these pick, pitches from companies, right? They're trying to express their value proposition. And it's often, yeah, I get the leading, but I also get the Uber of. So I get whatever <laughs> the industry is, you name it. The Uber yeah. of, you know, detergents. <laughs> I don't know. The Uber of dry cleaning, you know, whatever it is. The Uber of rug installation. So what do you, what do you think of that, of that, you know, that intentional mimicking to try to pull from someone else's value proposition? Well, I think it produces the results that we see. It produces me too results. Uh, and me too results are not the same as in the original. The copies of original uh, never duplicate the essence and therein they fail. In fact, I used to wonder because some of the great men that um, are studied when I look back in history and those that have influenced my thinking both in marketing and advertising communication and all the way back into ancient philosophy, you know, we... We study them instead of studying what they studied. We read their work instead of reading their influences. If you want to reproduce that kind of event in your own life, don't uh, just read Warren. You've got to get way beneath Buffett and into the influences that empowered his thinking. And I think that's become obvious for some of us, but in marketing, it's completely lost. We uh, we use what I call high concept language. It's often done in television shows, and it just it just doesn't ring true. Besides, how many Ubers of can there be? How many leading or number ones can there be? I have watched a profession devolve into a lying contest with so much white noise that we produce confusion instead of clarity. But clarity trumps persuasion. And when you really have a value proposition, you don't need to foster confusion. You need to produce clarity. Yeah, you know, it reminds me kind of uh, back in the schoolyard where, you know, the biggest, toughest kid, he never really said he was the biggest and toughest. You know what I mean? <laughs> the kid who yeah. wasn't so much, he, he had a lot of puffery and he had to prove himself. But the biggest, toughest kid, he was just kind of there and everyone just kind of knew, right? He just had that value proposition. Well, let's take that apart for a second. Instead of telling me that you're uh, number one, I'm more interested in the why of your DNA 
that produced the number one. The foundation of a great value proposition is a story. And a value proposition is not determined, it's discovered. And it grows out of the DNA of the founder most often. So you don't just to go around and declare value propositions. You really have to dig down deep and reflect and understand what it is about you that enables you to serve this particular customer group better than anyone else and then double down on that capability while ignoring many of the others. Both when I say ignoring, I mean the other customer groups that you can't serve well and the other attributes that will diffuse your focus. So instead of uh, telling me how tough you are, uh, I'd much rather understand why, what it is about you. When I discover that you survived X and you uh, achieved Y, then it makes more sense, this claim. Marketers will do much better to produce reasons rather than to hurdle claims. Reasons will help me form conclusions. And before I make the decision, I will form a conclusion based on the reasons that I've interpreted from the signal sets that you've put in front of me. Keep going down. And one way to determine which of those attributes is most effective is with testing. And that's something we're going to get into with our next question here in the checklist. But before we get into that question, let me just kind of set the table for everyone listening. Because we try to get deep in the marketer's philosopher, as the name suggests, to kind of, you know, let you question what you're doing in marketing, what you're doing, how you're serving a customer, and really, you know, your career, your business, all of those things. But we also want to leave you with something very tangible. So in the last episode, we started talking about this checklist that Flint introduced in a MechLabs Fast Class. So MechLabs Fast Class, quick video where Flint goes through all the different important elements that it takes to create an effective landing page, which really applies to all of marketing, but we're, we're very focused on the landing page for those. In that video, he talked about six questions you should ask yourself before creating your next landing page, which again, really applies to all marketing. So if you wanna hear the first three of those questions, we touched on one briefly at the beginning of this podcast, Listen to the last episode, but now we're going to dive into the next one. And the next question is, Flint, kind of tying into that testing. Yes. Have I started just trying out an idea or do I have a well-defined theory that I can test? And I think this is really interesting and crucial because I wonder really, you know, in my career in marketing, especially before I started Mech Labs, not many marketers are taking this approach or just saying, hey, you know, I got that gut. Here's my idea. If I can sell it to the client, you know what I mean? A really compelling presentation. Yep. Let's yep. just get it out there. So, but what can we learn from actually testing it? Well, number one, it's surreal to talk about this because in the old days, when we first formed the lab, no one was testing. And when I talked to companies about testing, they had to find a budget. There was no such budget. Certainly, Guthy Rinker and the direct response pros were testing in the direct response world, but not on the internet. And yet the internet offered a faster uh, more uh, efficient way to run experiments. And not only that, but it was more effective because we could gather data that's not possible in a direct response piece that you receive in the mail. We pushed this and pioneered a whole industry, which now uh, it's in a lot of those words that we talked about in the early days are part of the whole vocabulary. And we wrote the first certification program and patented the first uh, sort of uh, heuristic for understanding how to run effective uh, single factorial tests. I say that to say, wow, how the world has changed since then. Now here's the problem. Many companies are testing, but they do it as if it was a checkbox. They run poor tests. They don't formulate proper hypotheses, so they're not getting enough learning. They think the goal of the test is a lift, but the goal of a test is a learning. 
That learning contributes to an insight about the customer. That insight contributes to the holy grail of marketing, which is the customer theory. The customer theory is a, it's an understanding of who the customer is and why they behave in a certain way. And with that understanding, you can guide the customer to a yes. And all of marketing is about winning a yes. So Dan, here's the problem. We have these ideas and we try them. But when you do that, number one, you don't learn what you should learn. And number two, you take risks that are far too large and often result in horrific losses. Uh, we ran the testing program for Verizon for uh, a number of years and trained hundreds of their team. And all the while we were running these digital tests and sometimes seeing hundreds of millions of dollars resulting from these experiments, they were spending billions in their advertising budget. I'm not talking about online on the website, which is where we were testing, but uh, more than $4 billion a year in advertising. And yet they were doing very little testing. How much of that was a loss? No one knows. I'm stunned today that we don't fully understand the rich wisdom we can buy with smart, well-designed tests. And it begins with a hypothesis. If you can formulate a hypothesis properly, you can learn the most in the shortest period of time. If you take a series of these hypotheses and build them into a design of experiments, you can model the customer's decision process. And this becomes the foundation of the customer theory. And I don't want to just keep going, but I get passionate here because I'll tell you something. True competitive advantage will be discovered by the company that understands the customer better than everyone else. The key to sustainable competitive advantage is a robust customer theory. Out of that, you can develop Peter Thiel's monopoly, even if hidden, or the value proposition, or Durden's talk about scarcity. All of these brilliant thinkers understand that the advantage is gained when you can excel the competitors in your offering in some specific way. But what most organizations are missing is the methodical way to get that deep understanding that enables you to discover that lever. I'll stop, Dan, because if I don't stop, I'll keep going the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is like critical. That. And yeah, it, well, by wait. the way, it changes marketing. It makes it a fascinating endeavor, a discovery, a voyage into the human mind. But instead, we run around meeting deadlines and, and being underappreciated and, frankly, uh, diminishing ourselves and our roles. The marketer should be the customer philosopher of the organization. They should have more customer wisdom. The, the action of sales should be grounded in the reflection of marketing. But back to you. Yeah, well, when you see something like that in an industry in any industry where a practice that would be better is not happening, you got to ask yourself why. And here's my theory, and I don't know what yours is. I think it's it's the marketer. It's our egos, right? I mean, when you go in as a marketer, you know, you're kind of getting paid on knowing the right answer. 
But the thing that I always found most interesting in marketing, even before testing and testing made it more so, was curiosity, right? Because the cool thing about marketing is you're trying to learn about these people. And sometimes they're people very different from you. You're trying to learn about them and figure them out. It's like this puzzle you're trying to crack. And so when you get that right marketing, that right headline, that right ad, that right landing page, it's because, not because you tricked anyone really, it's because you really figured those people out and what can serve them, what in this product, this value can serve them. And so then the exciting thing about testing for me when I got more involved in it is boy, it really takes that curiosity to the next level. Like you said, you can really learn more about these other human beings that at the end of the day, you're trying to serve. It's honesty that I don't see in most marketing departments. We, uh, We sit around and we design by committee and there's a social dynamic instead of the science dynamic that's driving the way forward. And often the most, you know, one of two terrible things happen. You're in that room and you're all talking about your ideas and the person Uh, who is most dominant. They may be the highest paid or they may just be the most obnoxious, but they push through their idea and that often leads to disaster. Or you have this other way. I've seen it. uh, I can think of a huge company in Canada where I saw this. Everybody plays nice. And so we, we keep reducing the page down to the lowest common denominator. It becomes weak as water. It has no point of view. And instead, in this horrific but very nice compromise, we produce this uh, horribly performing page, but we all feel better about ourselves. That is wrong. The person who should be driving the conversation is the customer. And the only way for them to do that when there's a large sample size is through testing. And the only way to achieve the learning that you need in testing, it's not about the button color. It's not about the way you shape the CTA. It's about a four-part hypothesis, which, by the way, we're going to teach you in this blueprint. As you work through it, we'll teach you exactly how to formulate a hypothesis. Coming up, I know this because I'm, I'm going to the studio soon to produce another fast class, which, by the way, I'm excited about these two. And they, I, uh, that's 40 minutes of learning in 10 minutes. That's the goal. And in one of these fast classes, we're going to tell you how to design a story, the customer's conversion story, in such a way as to learn five things about the customer and how to take those five things and translate them into a four-part hypothesis. Now you say, wow, that seems so complex. It is worth it. You're digging for gold. You're mining for something so precious that once you actually tap into that vein and begin to build a customer theory, you can see miracles take place in your sales and marketing. Marketers are like extreme athletes when you turn them loose with this type of methodology. They can accomplish things nobody expected was possible. And candidly, why else would you get up in the morning? Why else would you engage all this energy? Who wants to work for a paycheck only? We need something grand, something worth our attention, something at the legacy level to draw us in. And there are some amazing things you can learn about the mind. And that's been our pursuit for 30 years. My entire life's been about one single question. Why do people say yes? And along the way, I learned the importance of the hypothesis. So practically speaking, and you'll learn this in the fast classes. So don't be, don't be frustrated if you don't know quite how to do this yet. But start to get excited about what you are going to learn to do. Because you do not produce a page before you produce a wireframe, and you do not produce a wireframe before you produce a hypothesis. You need to learn how to create that hypothesis, then articulate it with a wireframe, then express it fully with a design, and then push it into a test and discover the magic. 
find the gold, build the customer theory. Well, one of the things we're trying to express on that page, and you're trying to understand the customer well enough to express well, really ties into the next question in our checklist here of these questions you should ask yourself before you create your next landing page or do any marketing. It's, am I just assuming the voice of this page, or do I know how and why I'm going to talk in this style? And talk is in quotation marks, which, which is very interesting because, you know, when we think of a landing page, or really any written content, we're not thinking of talking, really, but it goes back to what marketing was in the beginning, right? Marketing way back when was just a one-to-one direct conversation between two people. And we have a landing page up. Gosh. All we're trying to do is replicate that, right? We're trying to talk. We're trying to communicate. But we don't, Dan. It's a monologue. It's one way. It's braggadocious. It's offensive. It's, it's, it's something that is so terrible that if we used it in a regular conversation with a person we met after work, we'd, we'd run them away. Listen, I, the irony is this. Uh, we run these intensives where we spend like two days completely designing a page, working with a team. And, and it's all, it's part of our research, but it's also a f- an accelerated way to get to a powerful page. And I've done these all over the world. And I'll go in and see a page where you can't even tell what they want me to do, much less why I should do it. It's got bouncing banners and it's got flash and it's got motion over here and too much color over here. And it's got horizontal layouts and too many columns. And it's like 16 people talking all at once. And you, 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 you're confused. And I will turn to the marketer who helped design the page and I'll say, I'm not clear here. Help me understand. And then I will hear the most beautiful copy I've ever heard coming right out of their mouth, except they don't know it's copy. And it doesn't sound anything like the page I was reading. It is a person explaining instead of uh, a salesman uh, exclaiming. It is, a, it is a person saying instead of someone simply um, declaring. And what happens is I learned three things. And by the way, if, if your copy isn't accomplishing these three things, it's failing. I have to understand what it is I can do here, why it is I should do it, and how do I start getting it done? How do I actually engage? And uh, I'm building right now a little tool where you can have a conversation with somebody else in your team or a prospective customer, record it, pull those three components out, and use that as the core for writing your copy. Forget everything you read about copywriting. The first problem with the word copywriting is the word copywriting. It makes it sound like it's a special language. It's not. You need to talk to people. People don't buy from websites. People buy from people. You need to enter into a conversation and guide it. And if you're busy copywriting, you're not really talking. So that's <laughs> that's another fast class and another podcast. But understand the importance of determining the right voice. And that isn't just the words on the page, it's the order they're in. It's the grammar. It's the sequential flow. It's where you place images so that they guide the eyes through the copy. All of those come together to create a flowing conversation. And it is a tragedy to see how many web pages fail. They make it so hard for you and I to figure out what we're supposed to do and why we should do it. Yeah, you know, it's funny when you say it, it's so true. We look at writing 
as this thing that's like external to communication. It's, it's almost like like a school assignment. We go back to school, we have to write and think like, okay, I have to do this in a certain way because it's got to be MLA or essay format or something. And I think part of it is because we're trying to sell so hard, but I think part of it is just that human nature of being intimidated by writing. Because here's an, here's an example, like even internally, our HR department had asked me before of like, I forgot what it was, but they've written something, you know, they came and sat down with me and they said, okay, here's the thing, but we're going to send it out. And we just want your feedback on the writing. And I just asked, well, what are you trying to say? I don't understand this. And then they just told me they're in my office. And I was like, well, say that. Why did <laughs> you that, say it that way? Right. That's, that's clear exactly when you write, you know, I put writing, I'm using quotation marks, writing in quotation marks. You were trying to force something that was very unnatural. Well, natural is the key word. And frankly, uh, the marketer's primary virtue is probably, and we may not call this virtue, but um, let's call it a soft skill, is empathy. And once you can literally get out of your skin, it's not sympathy, it's empathy. And I won't get into the difference, but it's quite different. And you can truly identify with the other person and you're in that place. Then the next skill the marketer should bring to bear is clarity. But you know what? We as marketers carry around a huge inferiority complex because we've heard about these masterful copywriters who use magical words. And there's even books about, you know, words that are powerful and how to use them. And all of that gets in the way. In fact, I'll go a step further. The worst thing that ever happened to leadership is leadership books. Great leaders do not sit around reading leadership books. They have a job to do and they have to get it done and they need other people to do it with them. And so they get the mission accomplished with and through the team. But the more you turn leadership into something beyond that and you make it a specialty, the more we get these self-important, pompous uh, obstacles that consider themselves a leader but actually get in the way of the mission. And I'll tell you, it goes right back to the same thing in marketing. Don't be intimidated. Don't have the inferiority complex. You don't need to be a master at mathematics. You don't need to have a master's in, uh, a skill set in, in writing copy. You need to be a person talking to a person. And you need two things right away, empathy and clarity. When you can harness those, you'll be awed by what you can do. We need to do less and do it better. But instead, there's all these books and all this advice trying to complicate the natural, simple elegance of something you learned to do when you were eight years old. Well, another thing that makes it hard to communicate as a person to another person when we're marketers is this last question here. And the checklist we're going over of questions you should ask yourself before you create your next landing page or any marketing. It's, am I still seeing the page through my selfish interest or have I positioned myself to focus on the customer's interest first? And really, you know, when we talked about this customer-first marketing and we've talked about a lot, I think not only is this the hardest thing in marketing, it's just the hardest thing in life, Flint. Customer-first marketing is rhetoric, Dan, out of the lips of most people. I'm not saying it is when you say it, because I've seen you in action. You're different, and there are others that are different. And, you know, when you, when you say this, uh, the essence of when you state this question, you make me feel guilty inside. I'm not talking about inferiority complex. I'm talking about genuine, well-deserved guilt because my number one enemy is self-deception and at the heart of self-deception is self-interest. And my self-interest blinds me. In fact, everything we're teaching in this course, 
the the heuristics. These are lenses to overcome your self-interest. These are lenses so you can see past yourself and through the eyes of a customer. If I don't have a method, then I don't trust myself, Dan, because I am shot full of these problems I'm warning you about. And and let's not kid ourselves. We're all broken people trying to do a tough job. And uh, and I'm a teacher, but I'm not teaching uh, really from a position of great achievement and accomplishment. I have been learning and testing and embarrassing myself for 30 years, really. Uh, and I, I, I'm not saying this to sound humble. It's humbling. I said in an earlier podcast, you don't have to worry about humility. Just be honest. If you're honest enough, humility will come because you'll realize how flawed you are. So to every marketer listening to me, to every entrepreneur listening to me, when I talk about self-deception and, and, and your own self-interest, I'm talking about the problem I've been grappling with every day of my life for 30 years as a communicator. And I, not that I'm 30, I'm 56, Dan, sad to say, but in these many years we've been running the lab and the research, what I have learned that's so important is that I can't count on good days to be uh, my savior when it comes to getting good marketing done. I need systematic methods that I can follow and I can teach. And almost everything we're teaching, we wrote it for ourselves first to overcome our own weaknesses. And so the conversion heuristic that you'll learn, the value proposition fulcrum that you'll learn, and many of the tools that we're going to teach you, these are designed to help you overcome the number one thing getting in the way of your results. Because guess what? The obstacle is you. The obstacle is me. And if we can overcome that inherent blind spot, we can do things that they almost look miraculous. And marketer, I've seen it. I've seen the gigantic gains. I've seen one test produce $200 million in just days. I mean, real money. We measured the cash. I'm not talking about projections. I've seen that how a few words changed on a page change, changes everything. The response rate completely uh, it skews upward and you're wondering, how is this possible? Well, it happens when we get out of our own way and we embrace the mystery of the human mind and we go deep and build a customer theory and discover what really works. Okay, well, before I let you go, Flint, I want to get you on the record of one of your own examples of self-deception. And I'll say mine first. <laughs> I think it's only fair. We're going to be oh, up here. We could be right? here all gonna... day, Dan. So our customer first marketing is not just rhetoric. So here's mine. Here's one of mine, okay, where I, I did a poor job. So as you know, you know, we had marketing Sherpa summits, and I had the privilege and the honor to run the content for it. And I felt like we had some pretty awesome content. You know, we had some best content in the industry. You were speaking there. I was speaking there. We had great case studies. And so when I would see people would buy tickets and come, I'd be like, yes, they're coming to see our content. And it's so good. And we're doing such an amazing job. But then, unfortunately, I, I don't think you ever believe that. I mean, <laughs> oh, I, I agree don't with you, but you're you a little bit more <laughs> humble than that. Um, no, I mean, I just thought we, we've got such good content. But then what happens, unfortunately, I couldn't just like hide behind a landing page because no. I would actually go to the event and and we would network with people. I'd meet them and talk to them. And I'd always ask the question. And so many, Flint, so many would disappointingly say to me, it's like, well, 
I want it's February and I wanted to go to Las Vegas in February anyway. So I looked at what events were in, you know, February in Las Vegas. Now that I'm here, you guys are great, but I just thought, you know, or these types of things are like, well, you know, I just, you know, I was in email and I saw it was email or, you know, all these other myriad reasons. Someone else on my team wanted to go. So anyway, that was my example. I think it's a perfect example of when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? So when you're like, it's, it, as marketers in our industry, and I'll say it because we were talking about the self-deception in terms of writing to your customer, but I'd also encourage you in terms of the tactics you use as a marketer, a lot of the times we will just kind of go to that well, whatever we're most skilled in, well, that's the tactic we need to solve this problem as opposed to stepping back. And if you listen to some of our earlier podcasts, looking at the objective first, how can you best serve this objective and not just, hey, what am I most used to and comfortable doing? Let's say it's direct mail. We're going to do direct mail all day long or, you know, SEO or PPC sure. or whatever it is. Sure. So Flint, come on. Now, I, I just fessed up. What do you got? Well, first of all, I think I'd like to list more of Dan's. I've got like a whole <laughs> list here if you want. If you just want to stick around for an hour, I'll list all we of Dan's. We said we were going to list these for half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, actually, I don't want to put a timing on these. We'll just go till they're they're done, Dan, you know, it, that's your advice, by the way. But I, I think, uh, look, we've ran 20,000 plus variations, hypotheses that we've tested over the years. That's a lot. So for many of those, more than half of those, I was wrong about something and the test helped me see it. So I could give you one of those, but it, I think it's more powerful to think about the application in my personal life. I've been married 33 years. I mean, it took me 15 years to figure out I didn't know how to talk to my wife straight up. And I'll tell you a recent time when my son, he's in his 20s, uh, he grew up in the lab and then uh, excelled at Harvard and uh, pulled, pulled out of Harvard to start his own business. And I, I have three children and they're, they're special and we're really close. My best friends are, frankly, my mom and dad and my, my own kids. My son pulled me aside one day. We were talking about something and a conversation we had with somebody else. And I thought I was helping somebody. And... He looked at me. I remember we were sitting in a restaurant together. He said, Dad, you know, I read something. He said, people love, people will remember not what you did for them. They're going to remember how you made them feel about themselves. Mm -hmm. I looked him in, in the eye and I thought, where did this, where did this genius come from? Because it, when he said it, ah. Uh, you ever heard something that just pierced you? Like you, it had more power than it should have because it was the right words for the right time. He hit me right between the eyes and I realized my own deception, my own picture of the situation, blinded by who I am and what I could do for somebody, had me trying to help them, trying to give to them. But in the end, I was doing less for them than if I could help them feel differently about themselves. And I'm telling you, those are the moments in your life when if you're listening, wisdom is whispering in your ear. Dan, I've had, yeah. uh, I've had many of those. And honestly, they're, they're embarrassing. Um, but uh, if, you, if you embrace them, you realize oh my goodness, what was I doing? Or what was I about to do? Or what did I just do? And I'll, I'll never forget what he said. And I'll never forget how it suddenly shed light on my blind spot again, on how clueless I was. And so I think, you know, everything we're doing here, Dan, it's, you know, we, it's, we talk about marketing, but the whole world 
revolves around influencing conclusions within the social dynamic. So it's life we're talking about. And where I have been hurt the most by my blind spot, by my self-deception, by my self-interest, it's not been in business. It's been in my relationships. Yeah, I think that, you know, a really key phrase you said right there, I don't know if everyone caught it was, if you're listening. And I mean, that's, I think that's, I think that's true in your personal life. I think that's true in your career. And I think that's true in everything we've talked about today in terms of if you're testing, if you're testing, then you're listening, you're trying to see, hey, is what I'm doing actually working? Am I actually learning about a customer? I'm, I'm crucial. It's so true. You, I could just keep going because you're, I'm going to stop. But, you know, you reminded me of something happened recently with my young, my 17-year-old daughter. She was 16. Same thing. I, I, I almost missed it, Dan. I almost missed it. And, um, but uh, Dan helps me a lot in business. See where I might be missing the whole thing completely. He challenges my thinking. I'm so fortunate to have people around me that can look me in the eye and, and help me see that I'm not seeing. I wish that for all of you marketers. And if you don't have it on your team, it, then make it happen through the customer. Let them help you see what you cannot see. And testing is the way. They're the ultimate decision maker in every organization. Well, there you have it. That was all uh, we just completed over these past two podcasts. The six questions that you need to ask yourself before creating your next landing page, before conducting your next marketing. You don't, if you didn't take notes, don't worry. You can download them at mechlabs.com slash fastclass. You can also help us reduce our own blind spot with this podcast and tell us how we can help you better with this podcast, just email editor at mechlabs.com. That's M-E-C-L-A-B-S.com. And Flynn, I think we've talked about you're open to getting personal emails as yeah, well. Yeah, I hate the way, I. you know what, we talk about landing pages, but I hate most landing pages. So let me skip one. Just email me. If you've got a question that you want to get answered within your company, if you want to do something to help transform your team, if you've got a big business challenge, I don't know what we can do for you till I know more. But why don't you just write me a real letter at f.mclaughlin, M-C capital G, L-A-U-G-H-L-I-N, f.mclaughlin at mechlabs.com. And I'll do my best to write you. Sometimes I have to dictate to stay ahead, but I will try to answer you personally. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you, Flint. All right. And thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on the Marketer as Philosopher podcast with Flint McLaughlin and Daniel Burstein.